listening to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Welcome to week two of Vision Month. I am excited to preach this message today for a number of reasons, honestly, but I'm just really excited to preach it. I'm excited that... um, just for all that God's doing here in the fact that we're making room for people in Knoxville. And I'm going to talk a little bit today, the kind of how we're going to do that. I know last week I told you why we were going to do that and kind of ended on this thought. And it was simply this, how do we engage, how do we love, and how do we change our worlds? And I'm going to read a couple passages of Scripture to you this morning. But before I do, um, I want to pray. Father, I thank you this morning for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in us, that you're forming us into the people that you would have us to be. I pray you'd take this word and continue to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you did not get your sermon notes this morning, there are sermon notes available. We also have black folders that we want you to keep these in. They give you an easy way to keep up with them. Um, That way you're not just throwing them in your purse or throwing them in your car. And you can go back and you can read uh, what we talked about on Sunday and what God's doing in our church. And you can just go back and review those. And I think it's going to be a good tool for us long term. I think it's going to be a good tool for us um, in engaging with God's Word, not just on Sunday, but outside of Sunday. And I am just excited about the sermon notes. I preach from the same notes that you have, so you don't have any different notes than I do. Um, If you want to know what my sermon notes look like, you have them. And so I'd want to get started this morning. I want to read a couple passages of scripture. The first one is in Psalm 100. I'm going to read one verse. It is verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is good. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I want you to go to John chapter 10, start in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolves snatch them, and then they scatter them. He flees because he is a hired hand, and he is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. I want to read one more verse out of Romans chapter 2. But I need to start, I need to start in the end of Romans chapter 1, 
for you to understand what's being said. Romans chapter 1 is a verse where Paul is addressing the Romans, or it's a passage where Paul is addressing the Romans. And they have all of this stuff going on. They're living in immorality. They have all these issues. And he begins to address them. But I think the problem that we have most times in the church is we stop at the end of Romans chapter 1 because there's a division in the letter that turns it into chapter 2 and we never read chapter 2 or the beginning of it. I want to read this to you. So all of it, you just imagine a culture of immorality. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served culture and the creation rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for the woman exchange, the national functions for what is unnatural and the same also for, for men. And just as these did not see it fit to knowledge God any longer, God gave them over to their own minds, to the things that were not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, how bad do you got to get for Paul to be like, you have invented evil. In new types of evil, you're an inventor of it. You've really got out there. I love it. It says inventors of evil, and then they say, disobedient to your parents. You know why? Because our little children are inventors of evil. They are inventors of destruction around our house, and they disobey us. That's why Paul wrote that. Without understanding these people were, they were untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give approval to those who practice with them. This is the part I really want you to get. Therefore, you have no excuse Every one of you that passes judgment on these people, you condemn yourself. For you who judge these people practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God falls rightly upon all who practice these things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment and practice on those who practice such things that you do not in fact inherit the judgment of God for yourself or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance Jansen thank you dog everybody give it up for Pastor Jay this morning one of the first things that I want to acknowledge before I get into the sermon is that I tried to shop for jeans yesterday. They do not make jeans for people my size anymore. 
do not make jeans for people like me. So I will be wearing these golf pants until I die. <laughs> because I am not purchasing the new kind of jeans that they make. Will not be. The question I want to ask you this morning in your sermon notes, simply. How do we engage love and change our worlds? How do we engage love and change our worlds? One of the things that I find interesting about Romans chapter 2 in correlation to the current church culture that we live in is that we pride ourselves on being intolerant of sin. And the Bible actually says God is tolerant of sin. Romans chapter 2. Have you not forgotten how tolerant and patient and rich in kindness that he is? And those of you that look at other people in sin, in judgment, and are not tolerant, kind, and patient, you condemn yourself the same way they are condemned. I want to note that before we jump out of the gate this morning, because I got a good one for you today, okay? How do we engage our world? The first way, kindness. You engage your world with kindness, the kindness of God leads man to repentance. Kindness. The kindness of God. Not the holiness of God. Not the wrath of God. Not the judgment of God. The kindness of God. If you come to know Jesus, hearing a gospel, that God is massively upset with you, so you need to serve him you're not really serving Jesus. You are serving an idol that you've created, but you're not serving Jesus. And I think one of the things that Christian culture is currently crying out for is for God to raise up prophets. But they don't want anybody to prophesy or preach a message that's contrary to what they currently believe. And they don't want God... Specifically, to raise up people to say, it doesn't matter how many book sales that you got on your book, or how many invites that you get from other ministers, or how much money you made last year traveling the country. We want prophets, we just want them to be in our circle. And so we don't really want prophets, we want puppets. We want to hear all of the things that we want to hear. And then when God raises up someone in your midst that would challenge the things that are going on in your world and what's happening on the inside of you, we automatically reject it. Automatically. And so when I think about God raising up prophets, I never think them being welcomed. I never think them about being loved. You ever read the prophets of the Old Testament? They didn't like them cats. They were mad at them all the time because they said, what you believe about God is wrong. And you need to repent and you need to change. One of the things that I'm committed to as we make room for people here at Hope Unlimited 
is that we engage people with kindness. I am so sick of the current church culture. Just being honest with you. I am so tired of it. We have pastors who are Pharisees, prophets who are Pharisees, apostles who are worse than Pharisees because they stand and condemn all the people who aren't like them. Sometimes I wonder, I text Pastor Casey the other day, I said, am I even cut out to like pastor a church? I asked him that. I said, am I even like cut out to be in this? Because I feel all of this stuff going on on the inside of me. And he's like, that is exactly why you are. I feel all of this like I want to explode on how people have been treated in churches. And how people have been greeted by the people of God. So the first way, if you want to engage your world you got to start with kindness, not with judgment, not with judgment. You know why we engage people with judgment? Because we are just like the people in Romans chapter 1 and 2. We forget where God brought us from. And so when we see people who are coming into the family of God, we judge them for not being where we are with God. And we try to engage them and say, if you get this right, and 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 I'm saying all of that's wrong. All of it's wrong. And you got to fix this and fix this and fix this. We tell people, come to Jesus as you are. But when you get here, we're going to put somebody in your face that tells you to fix all the stuff that you need to fix. And can I tell you this? People don't relate with Pharisees. If you want to engage your world... A good start is don't be a Pharisee. People also don't engage with people who don't follow Jesus, but say that they do. That everything is just open for you to participate in and do, and God hasn't really done anything in you to make you holy or righteous before him, and I can get into a whole teaching on holiness and righteousness and how it has nothing to do with your morality or immorality. And it has everything to do with Jesus. People don't connect with perfection. They don't. People don't connect with perfection. If you want to lead people from a perfect posture... I would advise you to read the New Testament. Because nobody in the New Testament ever led from a perfect posture. Other than Jesus. And you aren't Jesus. And I'm not Jesus. We are all being formed into Christ's likeness and to be like him. 
And can I even get you out on this, this other thing while I'm on this topic this morning? When people come to know Jesus and when you engage with people, if you try to force them into sinlessness, it will never create Christ-likeness. You have to show them the beauty of Jesus. And because they are Christ-like, sin is then worked out of them. It's not the opposite way. It's not, I get all this stuff together and then I become like Jesus. If you get all of your stuff together and try to become like Jesus, that is the definition of a Pharisee. That's what that means. That I wasn't formed by Christ. I worked for my holiness. No. That's ridiculous. How many of you ever heard a sermon before? About sin. You've heard a sermon about sin. I'm about to drop a bomb on you, okay? You haven't heard a sermon about sin. You've heard a sermon about morality and immorality. But you haven't heard a sermon about sin. Because the action is not what makes something sinful. It's what it does to you and others. So when you want to approach people and engage a world, you need to approach them with kindness and allow that to transform them. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself this morning. Don't approach your world with condemnation. People who are looking for hope don't need to feel like trash. I don't know how to say it any other plainer than that. People who are coming to church on some on Sunday mornings, people who are coming to church on Wednesday nights, people who are trying to participate in small groups, people who are trying to join a team, don't need you to make them feel like garbage. Do you mean to tell you the number one way to make people feel condemned? Call them to your personal standards. <laughs> Create agreements and say, if you do this, 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 then this, and this, then we can have this. No. Calling people to your personal standards is the definition of condemnation. Calling people to Christ-likeness will bring about change. But calling people to your personal convictions is not your job. And when you do that, you stand condemned with them, according to Romans 1 and 2. We call people to our moral standards, not Christ-likeness. Don't drink. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that drinking is a sin. Not a single place in the New Testament or Old Testament. Drunkenness is a sin. And the reason they had to be so stern against drunkenness is because they drank all the time. Drinking isn't a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. 
The harm that something causes you or others is when something becomes sinful. And so it doesn't matter if it's drinking. It doesn't matter if it's listening to some type of music. It doesn't matter if it's doing all of this stuff. But we have said when engaging our worlds in representation of Jesus, if you do all of these things, then you'll be good. No. False. That's how some people do it, but that's not how we're going to do it. You can be as jacked up as you need to be, and I want you to come here. And I want you to be a part of this. And I'm not going to force you into change. I'm going to show you Jesus, and then I'm going to allow him to do that. And the people who try to force people into change, those are the hardest people for me to deal with. Those who try to critique people's lives that they're unwilling to actually get in are the hardest type of people for me to deal with. And buying you dinner once a month isn't getting in your life. And buying your influence isn't getting into your world. You know how many people have tried to buy my ear? Because they wanted to force people into change here? They don't go to church here anymore. Because I would rather attend church with a prostitute than attend church with a Pharisee. I would rather attend church with the wicked of the wicked than attend church to people who want to buy their way into positions of power and then legislate their values onto everybody and then hope to God that brings about change. It didn't bring about change in your life because you still talk about leaders when nobody's around. And you still talk about church members that you go to and gossip behind their back. So it didn't bring about as much change as you think it did. Prostitution is not a seven deadly sin. Gossip is. Sex before marriage. I'm getting all over your moral stuff this morning. I am not saying immorality is good. Please hear me when I say this. But sex before marriage is not wrong because it's just a rule. It's wrong because of what it does to you. And it's wrong because you violate the integrity of somebody else. And in the same way we talk about that, we need to start talking about people who want to run churches and organizations that aren't willing to put their money where their mouth is. It's looking at the single mom thinking, I wonder what all she's done. How about you shut up and write some checks or keep your mouth shut? Nobody cares about all of your morality. We aren't called to morality. We're called to holiness. And the only way that you can be made holy is when you see the beauty of Jesus. It's not your moral standards. And it never will be. So keep them out. I have been called a heretic this week, just so everyone knows. 
proudly. Because I allow people who are in sin to attend Hope Unlimited. Where do you want them to go? Where do you want them to go? You want them to go to your feast, the Pharisees that you have? And your gathering of Jezebels? Or do you want them to see the beauty of God? Because if this is about your agenda, I have no patience for it. Engaging your world by not representing an angry God. Because he's not angry. He's kind and loving and patient and tolerant. Tolerant of you in all of your wickedness and evilness and your unchrist likeness. He shows up in the midst of that and sits with you and tolerates it. Because this isn't about changing. This is about being formed into the beauty of who Jesus is. We have made this about moral posturing and it's not working. It's not working. How arrogant of us to stand in our, on our moral high horse and say, we need to keep this up. You have been doing it for over 50 years and it doesn't work. So you're not representing an angry God. That's in your notes. Write that down. I know that I'm into this. Can't help it. God's not mad at you. He's not mad at the people you work with. He is against things that harm people. You know, we talk about the judgment of God often in Christian culture. Until God sends his judgment onto you. And it makes you answer for the words that you've said. And it makes you answer for the way that you've treated people. And it makes you answer for all of the manipulation that you've done behind the scenes. And it makes you answer for treating people harshly. And it makes you answer for, for treating people, specifically God's people, in a way that they ought not to be treated. We are the sheep of his pasture. And he is the good shepherd. And the Bible says this, that when wolves come in, he steps in. When things come to harm you, God steps in the way. And the same way that Jesus is a good shepherd, we are called to be a good shepherd in our worlds. You're called to step in the way of things when they're going to harm people. You're called to sit and say, that person is not good for you. Not because, not because they're sinning, 
but because of what that will do to you in your journey of Christ-likeness. Sin is against you. It is not against God. So when I see things happening to people in the world that we live in, especially in the way the organization of the church has treated people, something just doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't sit right. And most of the time I am very, I, am very, I guess, laid back. But I can't be laid back about this. People can't even attend church with people who voted for them, who voted differently than them in an election for people you don't even know. You don't know the people running for school board, much less the presidents. Our church has been called a bunch of Democrats. A bunch of Democrats that don't know what sin is. Better to be a Republican that knows what sin is and still does it than to be a Democrat that doesn't know. Call me what you want, dog. There's a famous author. He says this. He says, I have just made up in my mind <laughs> that I will always be a heretic <laughs> to some. And I have taken that posture as well. So if you hear of me being referred to as a heretic for loving all people and going to the defense, just confirm it, baby. Just say, Cole is a heretic. Pastor Cole is preaching heresy. Just tell him. Because if loving people makes me a heretic, I'll just be one. Number two, how do you love your world? We love our worlds as they are. Not with an agenda. It's the first not there. Not with an agenda. Love is a free gift. And if it has strings attached to it, it's not love. If it has strings attached to it, it's not love. It's manipulation. It's witchcraft. Not as projects. People are not projects. People are people. And they're God's people. So love them. People have to be changed by your love, not your rules. They have to be changed by your love, not your rules. I had somebody approach me recently, and they were like, God, help, Holy Ghost, help. All five board members, if you need to rebuke me for this, I'll take it. 
I had somebody approach me recently, and they were like, someone used to be a part of here, this church, feels like that they are called to be a listening ear to those who have complaints. I'll give you my phone number, 865-936-2822. Check it if you got it. That's it. You can call me and complain. But people who attend this church aren't your little projects. They're, they aren't your mission field. And we don't treat people that way here. We don't treat people like they're projects. I don't need spies. I don't care what you do. I'm not going to spy on your life. I don't need to create fake Instagrams and spy on you or Snapchats or whatever and spy on you. I don't need group text and spy on you because it doesn't matter to me what you do because you are not a project. You are a person who is deeply loved by God. And I will treat you as that, not as a project. Christianity is not tearing that. It's not HGTV for Christians. It's not taking an old broken house and you making all of your marks on it to make a new one. It's you pointing people to Jesus. And letting him transform them. Not treating people like they're a project. People are not toys. And the church has treated people like they are projects and toys. And then even worse, when all of their moral standards work for them and they enforce them onto people's life, they say, you know what we need to do? We need to make a video and put it up on the screen so that people can talk about how deeply their lives have been changed by all of our moral codes. Cole, you're not calling people to a standard. I am calling people to the highest standard. I am calling people to look into the face of Jesus and allow that to transform them. Cole, you lead a church with a bunch of people who don't know what sin is. Why would they need to know what sin is? They don't need to know sin. They need to know Jesus. And by not knowing what sin is, what they mean is, is they violate my moral codes. And so that is sin, and it's not sin. It's sin because of what it does to you, not because you do it. We don't love people conditionally. We don't love people conditionally. Contracts have conditions. Covenants do not. The same covenant that God made with you, you are to make with others. It's that we point you to Jesus no matter what.
we get you into a place where you are, you are seeing Jesus so beautifully that it transforms you into who he looks like and what he looks like. When God decided what he wanted to do in the earth, he created humanity and made it look just like him and put it in the earth. Because you are called to be transformed into an image which looks like Jesus. You are not called to conform to a set of rules. And if we're going to make room for people, we have to be okay with them being messy. We have to be okay with them living in sin. And we point them to Jesus. And when they are pointed to Jesus and they see him, he can begin to do the work of transformation. He can begin to do the work of transformation. How do we change our worlds? How do we change our worlds? By listening to their pain and God's voice. By listening to their pain and God's voice. People are being sinned against daily by their flesh, by principalities and powers, and by others. And people are hurting. And they need you to listen to their pain and not be insensitive to it and not try to figure it out. But they also, more than that, they need you to be sensitive to the spirit in those moments. He gives you language for people. He gives you the right words for people that are walking through pain. And you know what I have often found when I am counseling people walking through pain? This is why you need to hear the voice of God so clearly. Because most of the time, He just says, I just want you to listen. I don't want you to say anything. There doesn't need to be a solution to this. Just point this person to me. Just be me for this person. Be an ear that will listen. The second way, how do you change the world? By giving of your time and your resources. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is meet a practical need. The most spiritual thing that you can do is meet a practical need. This is why God gives seed to the sower and bread to the hungry. It's not for you to get rich. It's for you you to bring those who are less fortunate out of that. It's for you to have money to pay other people's bills. It's why we at this church, we look to be generous. We find reasons to give away money. And at the end of the day, you know what? We could have probably saved a lot of money right now. A lot of money. We could have a lot of money in the bank. A lot. And we have enough money in the bank that if something was to go crazy, 
we would have coverage. But we're not looking to store up for ourselves all of this stuff so that you can go to the leaders conference and say, I have 7,000 people in my church and we have $725 million. And 5,000 of those 7,000 go to school. They have kids that go to school who are hungry. So take the $7 million and buy them some food. God doesn't bless you just so that you can get a bigger building. The only reason that God gives you a bigger building is to care for more people. It's not to look cool. I know people all the time that think that when money just starts flowing in, it's the favor of God. The favor of God. The blessing of God. It only becomes the blessing of God when it gets out of your hand. It only becomes the favor of God when it gets out of your hand. Because the Bible says that God shows favoritism towards nobody. You know what the worst thing that we've told people in the church? You are exactly where you are for all the choices that you've made. What about the choices that you didn't make? What about the things that you didn't pick that happened? And you didn't choose that happened? And then we distort all of that and say, if you just get with God, he'll fix it all. No, he won't. He won't. That's not the way he does things. I've said this, if I've said it one time, I've said it a thousand times. You go to God and you look at Jesus to see that your sins have been forgiven and that he has defeated death. You go to his people to find healing. And the problem is people are going to us and we don't have anything to give them because we're cool. And we're in the Christian culture. And we have a way that we do things around here, which is my favorite one. So did the Pharisees. And Jesus come and showed up and said, If any of these ways that you do things keep you from caring for people, the way that you have decided to do things is wrong. How do you change your world? By including everybody. And by everyone, I mean everyone. The transgender person, the person who's confused about their sexuality, all of the people who make you feel strange, those are the people that are included. The adulterers, the liars, the gossips, all of those people are included. Now understand this, understand this. There are some things in the kingdom of God that are prescription and some things that are description. 
So when you read the Bible, I'm going to teach you something in this moment. Some things are prescribed, and then some things are described, right? One of the things that I find so incredibly important is when Jesus shows up and speaks to the seven churches of Ephesus. And what the, the thing that he deals with, sorry, not Ephesus, Asia, sorry, said that wrong. He deals with the seven churches in Asia. And what he deals with as it pertains to all of their issues, it all points back to people. It all points back to caring for people. And he says, those among you who do not care for people, do not tolerate those people. Either get on ship with this or get off. It's a description. You try to do your best to include everyone, but some people just won't be loved. And sometimes love says, shut your mouth talking about other people. And when they don't, they don't get to carry on. Not here anyway. You may can do that with some other pastor or some other church. But you don't get to talk about the people who were in here doing their best to try to love Jesus and other people. You don't get to take shots at those people. Jesus said it best. Do not tolerate Jezebel. And if you do, I will throw you on a sickbed with her. So if you come to church here and you have problems, thank God you're here. And you can come to church here and you don't have to worry about Pharisees invading your face. And you don't have to worry about Jezebel in your midst because I will pack their bags and walk them out the door myself. I was talking to someone this week, and they were like, Cole, are you trying to grow your church through making room? I said, no, not necessarily trying to grow our church. I said, I'm trying to grow our capacity to love people. But the first thing that Jesus does when he shows up is he deals with all of the people that are just like us. He deals with all of the people who were in Sunday, Sunday in, Sunday out, serving this week, serving that week. And he says, if you don't love people, all of this is meaningless. And he comes and he shows up and he describes himself as the good shepherd. And he says, I step in when sheep are being harmed. I step in when the people of God are being harmed. And he makes this very distinct thing, which I think is so beautiful. He says, the hired hand, they flee. They flee when wolves come. They flee when wolves come. They run away when wolves come. Because their heart was always about position. 
And their heart was always about their influence and their voice and how much they were going to do because of how big their checks are and all of that stuff. And I say, to heck with all of it. I would rather go back and work full time at my job than to be in a church leading a group of people, the people of God, that have to come and have to tolerate wolves Sunday in and Sunday out. I would rather not get paid from the church if that's what it means. Because I'm not trying to build my brand. I'm not trying to increase my speaking engagements. I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm trying to be sure that the sheep of his pasture are shepherded well. And everyone is a sheep in his pasture. Those people that we're making room for, they're sheep in his pasture. And to treat them otherwise is sin in and of itself. And it is the essence of unchristlikeness. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, Jansen, you can come on up, man. Luke chapter 19, Jesus goes and he sits down with Zacchaeus. And we have preached, you can stand to your feet. We have preached over the years that the moral of the story was Zacchaeus' pursuit to climb the tree and to get a picture of God. And once he saw Jesus, everything would change. That's not even what happened in the story. The story of Zacchaeus was not about Zacchaeus finding Jesus. It was about Jesus finding him. And then what did he say right after that? Give all your money that you stole back to the poor because you're a thief and a robber. No! He never once even talked about his issue. He said, I've got to come have dinner at your house. I just want to eat with you. I don't have an agenda. There's not strings attached to this love. This is not conditionally. This is not if you change or if you don't. It just is. It just is. And if we're going to make room for people, I want us to have the love that just is. That just is. We're going to call people to standards. We're going to call people to holiness. But I am not going to call them to morality. I am going to let the Christ-likeness get all the immorality out of them. Because if we call people to morality, and we call people to change, and if it works, it's worse. It's worse. Immorality is not good. Please hear me when I say that. Immorality is not good. But it's not, it's not that it's not good because it breaks some rule. It's not good because of what it does to people. And we do confront sin viciously in that way.
If it's going to harm you or it's going to harm someone else, you best believe I'm going to have something to say about it. There are prescriptions all throughout the New Testament of how to live in fellowship with one another. But when you are making room for someone who may not know Jesus, the only prescription is to love them. And that's how we're going to make room. We're going to make room in our hearts for Jesus to shed his light and to deal with all of the Pharisee within us. And then we're going to make room in a seat next to you because they have one and they've always had one. I had a mentor call me this week. Now he's a little strange, but I love him. <laughs> he called me this week and he says, Cole, I have a, a word for you and your church. And he's never called me and told me that he's never had a word for our church. It's always for me. And he says, I have a word for your church. He's like, I see the Lord's table in the middle of your church. And he says, I see people who think they've never had a seat sit down for the first time. I see the outcasts. I see the people who are forgotten about. I see the lonely, the single moms who are depressed see all of those people sitting down. I see the prostitutes and the people who are in adultery. I see all of those people coming to sit down in the midst of you. That is what we are going to be. And when those people come, they eat the same food we do. We don't stick them in a back corner We invite them to a table, into a seat beside the king, and just allow them to sit as long as they need to. That's what we do, and that's how we're going to make room. I want you to lift your hands to Jesus. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you. We want to make room for you. I want to be everything that you've asked us to be. I want to be nothing that you haven't. God, violate all of our morality. Violate all of our codes that we've held people to, our unrealistic standards that we've held people to. And let them just see your beauty and be transformed by your love. If it's by our power, it won't work. If it's by your love, it'll last forever. And Jesus, we're thankful for you this morning in this place. In Jesus' name. You can see. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.